Hi, I'm Matt McClory, lead pastor alongside my wife, Jill, here at Colonial Church in St. Augustine, Florida. Wanted to welcome you to Colonial Church's podcast. We are a church that believes in Jesus and people, which means we believe in you. So why not today subscribe to this podcast and choose to grow your life spiritually and in all the other ways as well into everything that God has got for you. God bless you, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, if you're looking for a Bible verse to start out, we're going to start in Acts 4, starting in verse 8. Um, before we do this, though, today we're going to go through the story of Peter's transformation. You see, Peter went through transformation in the Bible that I think is one of the greatest transformations. There are many great transformations, and this is definitely one of them. And I want to dive into the story of how did Peter go from A to B? And how, what can we glean from this story? Um, before we get into Acts 4, there's some context here. The Holy Spirit at this point in time had just been poured out uh, in Acts 2. And so the, whole, the church has just started to begin. And the Holy Spirit got poured out and people are on fire. People are getting saved. And Peter is like leading the charge on fire. He's like Michael Jordan, 1996. Like got the flu, still dunking baskets, right? Like he's, people are getting saved. It doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit's working through Peter, right? So this is what's going on. And Peter and John one day, they walk up to a temple and they climb up the steps. And sitting there on the steps is a man who has been crippled from birth. And he looks at them expecting to receive money because every day this man had shown up and gotten carried to this temple to be able to sit there and ask for money so that he could stay alive because he could not keep a job for himself. So this man, as they're walking in, looks at Peter and John expecting some money from them. And they look at them and say, hey, we poor. We got nothing, bro. Like, nothing. But the thing that we do have is the power of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And they grab his hand and they pull him up. And the man that has been crippled from birth stands up and starts to walk. And not only that, it says that he starts to jump and leap and run around. And he's clinging to Peter and John. And because of this, all of the people, he has been there. This crippled man has been there from day, like pretty much his whole life. And so since then, all of the people in the temple knew this man. And they see this man that they have seen day in, day out, crippled, jumping around and running around. And they look at Peter and John and they go, what did you do? Peter and John, feeling the eyes shift to them, they do something incredible. They say, it's not I, it was Jesus. It was the power of Jesus. And Peter stands up and gives a sermon and people start to get saved. He says the gospel to them. People start to get saved. But right in the midst of this, there's this group of people called the Sadducees that did not like what was going on. And they said, hey, the message that he's preaching is stirring up a lot of chaos. This man's jumping and running around. The temple is like if you could imagine someone being healed, the temple would be going crazy. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. These two guys have caused this. And so what they do is they arrest them. And they take them and they throw them in jail. And they stay in jail overnight in anticipation of going before a group of people called the Sanhedrin. And you're like, Sanhedrin? What? The Sanhedrin was a uh, group of people. I think we have a picture, actually. Hopefully we do. Yes. This is a picture that was drawn in 1883 um, of what people would think that the Sanhedrin looked like. It consisted of 71 men in a semicircle. And right in the center is the high priest. The high priest was the highest authority in the religious world, in the Jewish world. 
Anything he said goes. Next to him, to his right, you have the Sagan. And he had spent his entire life climbing the ladder of the Sanhedrin, trying to get to become number two. And then the rest of the men are the most educated, the most, uh, some of them rich, some of them uh, like have glory attached to their names, and they have been climbing the ranks of the Sanhedrin as well and appointed as one of the 71. These people were the top of the top. In, in today's day and age, people say that if you were to stand before the Sanhedrin back then, it's like standing in front of the Supreme Court. The authority that they had, they could convict you of a crime, put you in jail, kill you, exile you. So Peter and John are in jail about to head in to go meet with these people. I would be scared out of my mind. I don't know about you. So they show up that next day. Oh, actually, one more cool quick fact that I want to share because I just learned this and I was like, I got to share this. These two guys on the end here, Makes it a little bit more intense. These guys right here, they're scribes, and they look like they're taking notes of of what's happening. That's what they're doing, but they've been instructed to only take notes on things that incriminate the people that they're meeting about. So Peter and John are walking into this situation, and I could imagine how scared they must have been, right? I would have been. And as they walk up, the high priest speaks out a question to them, and he says, who gave you the authority to heal this man. And what he's actually asking is, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Coming into our temple, healing this man, causing all of this chaos. The Sanhedrin's main goal was to keep the peace of the people and to point people towards God. And all of a sudden, there's this uproar, and they're, they're like, what? what do you have to say for yourself? Who's authority? And then listen to Peter's response in Acts 4. It's amazing. Starting in verse 8, it says, Then Peter... Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done by a crippled man, or done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? He's saying, if, if we're here and you're judging us because we healed a man, and you want to know who, the, who did this, I'll tell you who. He says, let it be known to you and to all of the people in Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, he is accusing the Sanhedrin. That is bold. Could you imagine standing in front of the Supreme Court saying, you did this? Crazy. So Peter's there, he's accusing them whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man standing before you well, is well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone and, the, and there is no salvation in no one else, or there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. Peter is on fire like Michael Jordan. He is crushing the game. How do you boldly stand before the Sanhedrin, people that have the power to dictate the rest of your life and boldly proclaim that they've done something? It goes on in their response. Listen to this. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. Uneducated, Common men. I don't know if you ever feel uneducated or just common. It says they were astonished 
and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing that the man who was healed standing beside them had not, uh, seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say to them. Today we're going to preach, I want to preach a message called Common But Uncommon. Common but uncommon. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God. You are a great God, Lord, and that you lavish your promises upon us, Jesus. Right now in this place, God, I pray that your word would go out boldly. Lord, that the words that come out of my mouth would not be my mouth or my words, they would be your words, Holy Spirit. They would be the words that cut straight to the heart, Jesus. Lord, we pray for the hearts in this room that they're open and soft and ready to receive Jesus. Lord, we also pray for colonial kids, that the word goes out in colonial kids, Jesus, and that their little hearts can come to know you, Lord, the sound of your Holy Spirit, the voice of the Holy Spirit, the sound of your words, Jesus, and that they would go out changed. Lord, we pray that we leave different than the way we came in, and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. I have this friend, uh, and he came up to me a couple weeks ago. Actually, it was a little bit longer than that, but he came up to me at one point in time, and he walked up to me and asked me a question that I was very much so ready for. He walks up to me, and he goes, hey, uh, I work at a golf course. Do you want to play cheap golf? And if he even knew who I was, he would know that my three, the creasy three rules are you only drink coffee black, the toilet paper goes over, not under, and you always say yes to cheap golf, no matter what, hands down. So he walks up to me, he's like, hey, you want to play cheap golf instantly? Yep, I'm in. I'm playing cheap golf with this dude. He's like, cool, I'll set up a tee time. He sets up a tee time. He uh, sends me the details. I invite my brother Bennett, which I don't know if it was a mistake because he had just gotten a fresh cut mullet. I don't understand the craze of mullets going on right now. Maybe like in two years, it'll be the really in and then I'll have one. But right now, no way. Anyone here have a mullet? Loud and proud, yes, amen. Anyway, so I grab Joe Dirt, we jump in my car, and we start ro- going towards we start going towards the golf course. And my car, the car that I have, is not nice. It's a piece. That's a, like that's what we call it, but it's just it falls apart. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just gonna be real transparent right now, but. If it's falling apart, it drags, the front end drags on the ground. So as you're driving, you just hear, because <laughs> the car bounces along. The, the front left tire is flat half the time, so I'm constantly going to the gas station and filling it up. The AC doesn't work. And on top of that, when you turn the air off, it still is blowing hot air full, full blast. And so windows are always down. This is the middle of the summer when we're doing this. So windows are down, and we got the music blaring. I got Joe Dirt in the passenger seat, and we're flying towards the golf course, just like at 1,000 miles an hour, what it feels like. And as we start to get closer, we're driving along, driving along. We notice that the houses keep getting nicer and nicer and nicer and bigger. And we're like, is that even a house? Like, who lives there? I didn't know they lived in St. Augustine. And then sooner than later, we pull into the golf course. And I could just feel as we pulled into the golf course, every single golfer on the golf course stopped on every hole, put their clubs down, and turned and looked at us in disgust. And in that sinking feeling, I knew that I was not enough. I was not enough to be in that place. I was like, man, I, have, I don't have the money. 
I don't have the status, the education, I haven't done the things in my life to be here, but somehow I'm here. And I drive up to the cart guy, and he, he, like the carts, guys, I would have traded in my car for the cart if I could. The carts were so nice. So I get out of the car, and Bennett and I do the fastest tuck-in of our shirt you've ever seen in our life. We're like, Bennett's over there licking his hand, like, trying to grease his mullet back. I'm like, okay. And we felt completely out of our element completely underprepared for what we were walking into. And man, I just, when we instantly felt like we weren't educated enough or enough, I started thinking of this story and how Peter could have felt uneducated, not enough, to be able to stand in front of what, who were the smartest and the nicest people. And I think that in our world now, there are so many people out there, so many people like me, that have the feelings regularly of, I don't amount up. I don't make the mark. It doesn't matter, as I've been preparing for this, I've been realizing that it really doesn't matter who you are. We all struggle with trying to keep up with the Jones. We have a problem in our world right now. I think the world right now is looking at themselves and they're expecting something else. I do it all the time. It's the feeling of like, man, if I just had this, or if I just made this amount, or if I just had this car or golf cart, if I, had, if I had this status, if I had these friends, whatever it might be, if I had this, then I would be enough. Because the world right now is screaming that at us. They're saying, you aren't enough. You need more money. Yeah, you need more likes on Instagram. Yeah, you need more uh, status. You need better friends. You don't have enough fame. That's what the world is screaming to us. So no wonder when we look at ourselves, we feel like we're inadequate, that we're not enough. Because the reality is if we look at, I can't fulfill, let's say it this way, I can't fulfill the world. And if we look at ourselves in the world's lens, you will never be enough. That's the truth. But I thank God that every, I thank God every day that he came and he came and he brought the person who was enough, who is enough, and who will always be enough. And he didn't just come, but he paid for my sins, my insecurity, my everyday common life. And he gave me an uncommon purpose. In this room, every person in this room has an uncommon purpose in Jesus. We may be common, ordinary people with mullets or whatever, but we have an uncommon purpose. That's the great exchange. So then the question is, if we have this great exchange, Jesus, why do we still struggle with it? Why do we still struggle with the grip of feeling like we're not enough? How do we, like Peter, stand up in front of the Sanhedrins of our life, the most stressful situations, the moments when we're being judged the most, and boldly proclaim our future? How do we do this? That's what we're going to talk about today. How did Peter do this? He went through transformation. You see, Peter, he wasn't always that way. He was far from it. Five weeks-ish before this, Peter was actually with Jesus, and Jesus got arrested. And as Jesus was getting taken away to get arrested, he was getting taken to somewhere called the high priest's house, that man's house. And there were a lot of the members of the Sanhedrin. 
And Peter wanted so badly to be with Jesus that he followed him, but he kept his distance because he was afraid of being seen with him, of being found out. It says that when they started to convene, he got a little bit closer, and as he got closer, people started to notice, hey, aren't you the dude that was with Jesus? Aren't you the dude that's been following Jesus for three years? And he says, nope, not me. You got the wrong guy. I don't even know him. And he denies Jesus. This is in the presence of the Sanhedrin. So here you have a Peter that is fearful, insecure, feeling like he's not enough. And then just a few short weeks later, you have a Peter who is boldly proclaiming the word of God. So what did Peter do? What happened in this three or this five weeks? I think there's three things that happened. There's three things that Peter received that we here today can receive to help us live a life and a year of boldness. Are you ready? First one today. Here we go. Peter received redemption. He received redemption. You see, after Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus actually went and died. And how would you feel if one of the last things you said to Jesus or about Jesus was denying him? I feel terrible. Peter was gutted, devastated. Scholars believe that Peter didn't even see himself as an apostle in this time. He, he's like, man, I am not enough. I denied Jesus. I'm not enough. But Jesus said he was enough. And I'm so thankful that Jesus did not leave Peter in this state. He actually came and he redeemed Peter out of the pit that he was in. And I don't know what your pit you might be in here today or how 2021 might have been, how hard it might have been, but can I encourage you? God does not want to leave you there. There are greater things for the people of God. You see, as we start to yield to what God is doing into our life, he takes us from glory to glory. And there will be hard times, difficult things. But he won't leave you there. He's coming. I don't know who I'm speaking to today, but whoever it is, Jesus is the answer. He's coming. I promise. We have a God that goes after the one. We sing it all the time in songs, but it's true. It's in Matthew 18. Listen to this. Jesus is speaking about the heart of God, what kind of person he is. And he says this, what do you think if a man... This man is resembling God. If a man had a hundred sheep resembling us, and one of them goes astray, like Peter, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? He does. That's our God. You see, when Peter was astray, Jesus went out of his way after he died to appear to Peter. And he had a one-on-one conversation speaking to Peter, qualifying him and redeeming him and putting him back on his purpose. It's a, the story of Peter is such a beautiful story of that. It's in John 21. I want to read it to you. Peter sits down with Jesus and has this one-on-one conversation, and Jesus asks him the same question three times. He says, when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then feed my lambs. He said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now listen to this. Peter was grieved because he said it a third time. It's easy to think that Peter, when he was grieved, he was like sad that Jesus had to ask three times. That's actually not what's going on here in this moment. See, what happened is Jesus had cut to the heart. Peter denied him three times. And Jesus is now affirming his love three times. And he comes, and this is the moment when he says the third time, do you love me, where Peter realizes, man, there is grace for me. No matter what I've done, I did the worst. I denied Jesus, and there's grace for me. There is redemption for me. And if there was redemption for Peter, there is redemption for you in this room. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, what mistakes you've made. I'm tr- this is serious. It doesn't matter. Jesus is enough. What you've done does not make you n- enough, like not enough. Jesus makes you enough. And he will not keep you in your not enough state. You see, when you call upon the name of Jesus, he shows up. There's power in calling upon the name of Jesus. We need the redemption of Christ. You see, this is called the reinstatement of Peter. And not only did he redeem what he was and what happened, he also gave him a purpose. He said, feed my lambs, tend to my sheep. He was saying, you're going to lead these people. I need you to lead these people and step out in this calling. And from that moment, you see Peter, after finding out what his calling was, go boldly forward. There's a huge change. You see, the very thing that he was not enough for was the very thing that he ended up leading. I don't know if the very thing that you feel like you're not enough for, the very thing that you feel insecure about or fearful about is the very thing that God wants to use you in. It's your story. There is power in the redemption of Christ. The second thing after this that Peter received in his journey of transformation was the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pastor Chris preached last week on the Holy Spirit, and it was incredible. I want to encourage you, if you didn't hear it, go check out the YouTube, listen to it, because it's such good teaching on the Holy Spirit. The disciples, what had happened is after this moment, Peter's like getting the Michael Jordan fire going on inside of him, and he's starting to move forward into what God has called them to do. And God tells him, hey, you need to go wait. You and the disciples need to go wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And so that's what they do. They go into this house in the upper room and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And sooner than later, Holy Spirit drops. And people in the room, it says there are a hundred, over a hundred of them in this room that started to speak out in different languages and speak out. uh, People all around started to gather around because this was crazy. They're like, what the heck? They're speaking all these different languages. They're screaming it out. And so this massive crowd started to come. And Peter did something that was amazing. The thing I love about Peter when it comes to this story is that he instantly knew that he needed to yield to the Holy Spirit. He received the Holy Spirit, but then he knew he had to yield to it. He made a choice to partner with what the Holy Spirit was doing. It's in Acts 2, starting in verse 14. Listen to this. It says, Peter, standing with the 11, just like everyone else, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Lifted up his voice and addressed them. He said, I have to do something about this. He felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit telling him to stand up 
and to say something, to explain what was going on. I mean, what would have happened if Peter never stood up? What would happen if you don't stand up? You see, we are called to yield to the Holy Spirit. We're called to receive it, but then we're called to yield. It's one thing to receive. It's a different thing to yield. I had a um, friend, different friend, don't worry, not mullet man, different man, or girl, actually. She's from Atlanta, so she's a terrible driver. We were just in Atlanta. Sorry, anyone from Atlanta, but, like, you guys are crazy. We were up there. I was like, we're going to definitely get in a car wreck. But we didn't. Praise Jesus. So she's from Atlanta. She was a terrible driver. And somehow, being the terrible driver that she was, um, we got in the car with her. I don't know why I did this. If there's one regret, that's it. Getting in the car with Haley. Just joking. Uh, but we did get in the car with her, and we were driving from our house, leaving our house, and there was this big, long, windy road. And at the end of the long, windy road, there was a roundabout. It was a really busy roundabout. And we were leaving our house, and we're driving towards the roundabout. And as we start to get closer, I realize that she's not slowing down. She's not slowing down. We're getting closer. She's not slowing down. Sooner or later, my fingernails are dug into the seat, and my foot is like on the fake imaginary brake pedal. You know how we do that sometimes? It's like, ah, trying to stop. And she plows straight through the intersection of this roundabout, and people are slamming on the brakes, honking their horns, yelling things that I can't repeat out the window. And she flies through the roundabout, and I look at her, and I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, they're supposed to yield to me. See, <laughs> I'm like, have you ever been around a roundabout before? She goes, no. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I feel like so often, though, we treat our life with the Holy Spirit the same. We expect the Holy Spirit to yield to our plans. Newsflash, the Holy Spirit will not yield to your plans. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on you. But we get to yield to the Holy Spirit and what he's doing. And we might have to stop the car. We might have to wait a little bit longer. It might be a little uncomfortable, but here's the thing. It is always better. Always better to yield to the Holy Spirit. There is power in receiving the Holy Spirit and yielding the Holy Spirit. And I think we see that in Peter. I think the question is, though, what does it look like to yield to the Holy Spirit? Do we just listen and then do what he says? I think if we're to yield to him, we need to know what he's doing. We need to know what the Holy Spirit's doing. So often, I hear people say, like, man, the Holy Spirit was moving. And I just want to look at him and be like, what was he doing? Did you ask? Because he'll tell you. One of the most powerful things in worship, too, while we're worshiping, I love to do this, is when we're worshiping and you feel the Holy Spirit moving in the room, you can say, ask him, hey, Holy Spirit, what are you doing in this room? And he'll tell you. And then when he tells you, what do you get to do? Yield. In worship, he told me this time that there was someone in here that was battling with, an, like, a, it felt like there was a war going on in their spirit during worship. And he says, I'm in that war, fighting that war for them. And what did I do? I sat on the front row and prayed for you. That's, it's, it's true. Like, you, you ask the Holy Spirit, what are you doing? He'll tell you. How often are we asking, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? So what does it look like to live a common but uncommon life? It looks like a life that is yielded to the Holy Spirit. You ready for the third one? And lastly, the last thing that Peter received was a promise. He received a promise. I don't know about you. 
weird to me, but if I had the Holy Spirit and had Jesus and still had to walk in front of the Supreme Court, I would be shaking in my boots. So what was different about Peter? You see, Jesus knew that Peter, this is, this is important, Jesus knew that Peter was going to stand there in front of the Sanhedrin in that semicircle and have to give an account for what had happened. He knew that while he was still alive. And even though Peter didn't know, he instilled a promise in that moment that he could stand upon. He told him a promise that he could stand upon. And here's the truth today is that when we are in our struggles, Jesus will tell you promises that you can stand upon. If you're struggling with addiction, I'm more than a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror. I am the righteousness of God. That is a promise that you can outwork in your life. When when you feel like you're alone or you're not loved, no, my God loves me. I am so loved by my Father in heaven. There are promises that Jesus pours out that we can stand upon. Because hard times will come, like I said. Jesus was not shy about this. If you read the Bible, the gospel, you hear Jesus. He talks about like, hey, trials are going to come. Hard times are going to come. But man, he is not shy about the deliverance. I will deliver you. Let's look at John 16, verse 33. It says, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. That's a promise. You may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Another promise. He has overcome the world. Yes, there will be hard times, but can I encourage you, even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment, like so often it doesn't, but Jesus has overcome the world. He has overcome the struggles that we go through in the everyday. And how do we stand before the Sanhedrin's of our life boldly? We proclaim the promise, just like Peter. You see, the promise that Peter had is found in Luke 12. It's an absolute wild promise. Starting in verse 11, listen to this. This is what's going on here is Jesus is surrounded by a thousand plus people and it's chaotic, it's crazy. And he stops for a moment in the chaos and he turns to his disciples and he teaches them. He takes this moment of chaos and turns it into a teaching moment and listen to what he says to Peter and the disciples. He says, and when they bring you before the synagogues, And the rulers and the authorities do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself uh, or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you are ought to say. You see, he knew what was going to happen. Standing before the Sanhedrin, there wasn't a question in his mind because Jesus had given him a promise saying that the Holy Spirit will deliver you from this moment. Could you imagine them in the jail before? The night before in the jail, sitting there in what would be the most stressful situation, the anxiety of we're going before the Sanhedrin, we're going before the Supreme Court. I could just imagine them sitting there beaming with expectation. What is the Holy Spirit going to do? What's he going to do in my life? And the same thing can be done in our trials. Our trials, when we face the trials of our life, we get to stand on the promises of God and say, hey, I know this thing's coming, but guess what? My God is more than a conqueror. I am set free from this in Jesus' name. I might still have to go through it. I might still have to go through it, but he will deliver me. He will deliver you. I don't know what situation you're in in your life right now. 
but there is an uncommon purpose for your life. There is a promise that you can stand upon. Will you stand with me? I love that Peter and John could sit in a jail cell and just the thought of them being excited about going through the trial because they had redemption, a helper, and a promise. And I don't know where you're at in this room. I've said that a few times now, but maybe you're in a place and you feel like, man, I'm too far gone. I did something too much. It's not too much. There's redemption for you. Maybe you're in this room and you're saying, hey, I've never received the Holy Spirit. Maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day where you put your foot down and you say, you know what, I'm going to listen to what God is saying to me. Or lastly, maybe you're right in the middle of a struggle. You have the Holy Spirit. You feel like you're living in the redemption power of Jesus, but to be honest, you don't have a promise to hold on to. I feel like in this moment, Jesus is going to issue out redemption, power of the Holy Spirit, and a promise. So if that's you in this place, I'm going to ask you to do something bold. I'm just going to ask you to lift both your hands up. If you need redemption, the Holy Spirit, or a promise, just lift your hands up, and we're going to pray, and we're going to start to worship together. Lord, we thank you for the hands that are going up, for the lives that are being changed in this place, in this moment, that people have said, hey, I'm not going to leave the same way that I came in. Jesus, right now, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill this room, that you would start to put on people's hearts dreams and promises, Jesus, that where people feel like they're not enough, God, that you would encourage them that they are enough through Jesus. Jesus, we pray for your grace and your redemption power in this room and your Holy Spirit to fill this place and to start speaking to people promises and what they're going to do in Jesus' name. We love you so much, God. We trust you with our lives. Fill us afresh, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship, church. Thanks for listening to that podcast. We pray it blessed you and empowered you in all that God's got for you. Why don't you share that with a friend, someone who maybe needs to hear it. We'd love for you also to visit us um, either online at colonialchurch.life or here at church at 550 State Road 207 here in St. Augustine, Florida. Be blessed.